0: dive into the questions. I'd love to hear about like you know what your process is for doing these interviews and podcasts. Now I'm I'm still pretty new to it and I'm still learning and you know perfecting the process in general. But yeah, what is what is the way that um you know works for you in terms (laughs) of making sure the logistics are coordinated and and everything.
1: I will say that you're far more impressive in your Logistics coordination and all that than I am. I, mine is a, a little bit more. The, the deal is, as a journalist, I get hit up all the time with opportunities to talk to interesting people. So I interview them, and sometimes I take those interviews and I do something with it besides turn it into a story or multiple stories. And I'll, you know, turn it into a segment on a podcast, and then I, I might. Sometimes I write columns about what I'm thinking about what's happening in the world, uh, in particularly this collision of technology and entertainment and media, which is the area that I focus on more broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes those become just sort of little pieces that I'll, you know, I'll just, I'll just, so here's my opinion on this thing. And then I might throw in an mm-hmm. interview I did with somebody interesting. So sometimes it's been tough lately. I've been with traveling and stuff, it's been a little bit more. Uh, haphazard in terms of my creation of that, but uh, I plan to put out another one this weekend, so.
0: That's awesome. No, I love that what you're doing. And I think the whole reason why I even started this podcast and YouTube journey is not just to kind of create sort of more brand awareness for my startup, Quenu, but, you know, especially, you know, for some, for a startup that is in the AR, VR space, I think there's the huge aspect of it is just educating and kind of talking about you know, what it is, what are the use cases of it, what it is not, um, how things were maybe a few years ago, where where the industry is going. And I think it's just good to have these like conversations that are sort of recorded and and kind of distributed um, and hopefully that gives a lot of perspective on, you know, how different industries are utilizing this and what really is the potential of all of this.
1: Well, yeah i mean if if that's your goal i think it's a worthwhile one and uh certainly one that's um you know more despite all the conversation i'm sure you swim in given where you are i mean yeah. when you get into these little worlds and this has been a significant one for five years maybe really significant um certainly uh ar we we will date the the um awareness of AR to the release date in July of five years ago of Pokemon Go, right? Before that, it was happening, but no one cared. I mean, what, seven people cared, uh, including some people who had access to Google's pocketbook. Uh, And after Pokemon Go, some people went, oh, look at that. That's kind of like a billion dollar phenomenon. Maybe we should try to do something like that or do it in different ways. And I think that that took off. but it's been up and down ever since, as you well know. And uh, you know, I think education about its applications and opportunities, uh, technology maturation, that still needs to go on, but uh, uh, will be significant. And uh, at some point, the more hands-on involvement by Apple, I think, will mm. also supercharge things a little bit more mm-hmm. because it's freaking Apple. I mean, look <laughs> at what happened in the market today when. Word got out uh, yet again of another Apple car conversation uh, from Bloomberg, saying, "This are serious, and they're not just doing CarPlay. They're not just doing an Apple-designed car. It's going to be an autonomous vehicle that's effectively uh, an iPhone you can ride in." You know, <laughs> so uh, and their stock went up seven bucks, and which is like five percent on a stock that was already for the most valuable public company in the world. So. True. True. There you go. Yeah. So when they get involved in XR and AR in a way that's more than just tools that enable other people to do things, I think that'll be really interesting. Yeah,
0: so. and it's definitely been interesting to see even Facebook, well now Meta, kind of um, you know get into this whole metaverse XR space, yep. and it's only a matter of time before other sort of you know big brand names also join the conversation. And I think it was
1: well, well, Microsoft a uh, week after the Meta conversion, mm. uh, which I have had a lot of things. I've had a lot to say about that. Um, mm. But uh, week after that, Microsoft came out with uh, an announcement about what it's doing with Mesh, uh, one of its um, initiatives, and how mm. it's going to interact with Teams. It's you know it's working you know it's co-working software, and the implications of that I think are pretty interesting uh, mm-hmm. because when Facebook talks about Enterprise Metaverse, people like me go screaming from the room. when Microsoft talks about enterprise uses for immersive experiences, it's like, oh, okay, well, they have relationships with businesses. no one thinks they're evil on their face <laughs> and they they have a lot of things in gaming that they're already doing that aren't just um, you know how do I play Farmville on my cell phone right, right? so so they're they're already positioned and and they've got azure and they've got you know all the cloud stuff and you know just go down the line with xbox and cloud azure and on and on they've got all these things that position them really well mm. for this stuff there's a reason why it's i think it's actually now the most value. well today apple's the most valuable company in the world. yesterday it was microsoft but you know one and two right. um there's a reason why they're there so that's more interesting to me than what Mark Zuckerberg does to try to a not be under Apple's yoke on the iOS thing and have to pay uh, or be limited in what he does with his horrific advertising. Uh, you know what he's doing to try to control and not make Facebook, you know, irrelevant. Mm. Uh, though I think demographic shifts are already doing that. But.
0: Mm. So, what are your thoughts on this shift into the metaverse and and the name change and, and all of that?
1: I would say that um, it's a useful signal to other big companies. Uh, One of the more fascinating little conversations I had uh, in the last two or three weeks was uh, Mm -hmm. walking into an actual physical in-person conference uh, with a guy I've known for a long time whose job is to look ahead for his um, media company. He's very large, but not that large media company. And I asked him, what's going on, what do you have to? He was gonna be doing some presentations like he does at a lot of these conferences. And he said, well, it's been a, been a busy week and uh, uh, this billion dollar company came out with a name change. And all of a sudden my bosses are like, well, what are we doing hmm. with the metaverse and XR and all that stuff? And, and he's like, well, I've been talking to you guys for several cycles now. And I don't know how long a cycle is in his mind. Yeah. But uh, all of a sudden, his bosses are like, well, when are we going to put ours up? It's like, well, they've spent $30 billion over the last five years, according to their numbers, and they're spending $10 billion this year. We're spending half that on programming for the things we already do. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, when, when you want to put the money up, we can talk. So, right. and, you know, but, it, but the, the key was that all of a sudden, the CEO types were like, oh, what's that? Mm. And we should pay attention. It's not just this thing those crazy kids in Silicon Valley did. And so mm. in that regard, it's uh, possibly an uh, activator that um, gets them thinking in, I think, more substantive ways. Uh, the actual name change is not by itself that big a deal. I mean, they did that, and they changed the way they're going to do financial reporting, but they're not going to change really anything else. Mm. Um, so the financial reporting means they break out what they're spending and they say they're going to spend $10 billion this year on Oculus and all the stuff around, you know, all that or whatever they renamed to Oculus, yeah. uh, $10 billion, a substantial amount of money, unless you're a trillion dollar company. Um, and so I think that's a that's a useful signal, but uh, they're doing it also in the context of uh, withering fire over really egregious behavior going back now several years as detailed by their own researchers uh, in terms of understanding and knowing and continuing to enable the, the bad impacts of their own products. It's a little bit, you know, when they were, and word was out that they were gonna rename themselves and it wasn't clear what it was gonna be. I was suggesting they should be renamed Altria Book because Altria was the name that Philip Morris changed itself to to hide the fact that it was selling tobacco. It's like, well, this is another toxic and highly addictive product mm. that's bad for us that so we can't quite kick. So <laughs> Altria books seem to be a much better name, but they don't, Mark never listens to me. <laughs> yeah.
0: So in terms of sort of AR, VR, and utilizing that into content strategy for brands, what is the I'm sure there's a lot of ambiguity about what is the right way, how to, you know, utilize it, what channels. Um, you know, since you've kind of been keeping up with this space for a while, what are some of your thoughts around uh, how brands can leverage this?
1: Well, I think we're already seeing some stuff that I I think is really interesting. And for instance, I would point to a much more important and fascinating company in the ways brands are interacting with it than Facebook. Uh and that is Roblox. Mm-hmm. So to me, and the market agrees, by the way, they're, they're, they just had their first investor day yesterday, I believe. And uh, the market got pretty excited about that for good reason, because Roblox has something like, I think the non-official number, but the likely number somewhere around 50 million games and experiences um, of all kinds. And they just announced that they're going to be getting into educational games and experiences on roblox with nonprofits, Mm. and i think that's going to be really powerful for exactly the right audience that facebook can't reach i mean Mm. uh, the core audience that roblox deals with is like four to 15 right and the 15 year olds are busy creating the next platform so the next game on that platform that they hope that they can make some big dough on because they know people or know of people Mm. who've created really cool games and they're getting checks that are Large, you know, six to seven figure checks. Uh, and so these guys are like, I can do that. I, I've been on this thing for five years and I know what I'm doing and I, I can create something too. And that creates a real virtuous flywheel for those guys. But it also creates uh, the programmers and developers who will work with brands in the future to create um, branded or otherwise engaging experiences that could sit on Roblox and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, that can reach the next generation of consumers and the ones who help you know tell their parents what they're going to spend their money on yeah. and uh, to me Roblox is right in the middle of that and uh, profiting hugely in Hollywood I mean uh, Hollywood Wall Street strongly agrees because they went public after a decade of existence They went public last spring and they're I think they're over at around seventy bucks a share and they're at like 110, 115 today I think so um, that's a really interesting place to look at. I think it's much more interesting. It's much better positioned as a much more uh, promising audience than Facebook has. Facebook is trying to change its DNA yeah. to make up for the fact that its its core audience is old or very low value. So they've got two and a half billion users sprinkled mm-hmm. around the globe. They're not making a lot of money off of anybody in the United anywhere but the United States and Europe to some extent, where they really have their hands shackled by a much more aggressive regulatory framework, but the rest of the world, where they have you know hundreds of millions or billions of users, mm. they don't make that much money off those folks. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so their future is kind of tied to an aging user base in their most lucrative markets, and I think just a really uh, diminished brand. I mean, they—I mm. don't think they're going to have. I mean, if you're a talented creator, if you're Mm. a talented developer, do you want to go be on Facebook? Is that the place that's your destination? like, Do you dream of working for Mark Zuckerberg? And they're going to be hiring a lot of folks for Meta, and there's going to be people going there, but I think a whole lot of folks are going to be like, you know, not those guys. Um, That's my expectation, and I may be wrong. I may be too pessimistic. They may be able to throw... Mm tons of money at them but i don't know i think the best and the brightest are going to say you know i think i'd rather work for 17 other companies or make my own right like you did mm. yeah. so that's my thought mm.
0: in terms of sort of all of the other emerging trends if you want to call it that whether it's nft or um yeah nfts or um even blockchain uh ha- are there tells um that you think that Distinguish um, emerging technologies uh, tells that tell you okay this is going to stick and it's you know more and more companies are going to use it versus like oh it's just kind of like a fad or a trend for now and it's it's probably not going to be as practical or useful or you know um,
1: over the years. Well, I mean, the most basic tell is can you can you eventually make a sustainable business out of it Mm. um i think nfts are interesting you know i mean they uh god it feels like it was 400 years ago but it was really like february of Mm -hmm. this year (laughs) 2021 uh weirdly enough when nfts sort of blew up you know and they really blew up for about three months there and then they sort of fell off the pop culture landscape but they didn't go away they just and in fact, the volume continued, it just didn't have those crazy, oh, somebody paid 69 million dollars for Beeples, you know, yeah. day book. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what that was. And that was that was a showcase kind of thing, fine, whatever. It was kind of funny money. Um, you know, but whatever. Um, uh, but what we've seen is it continues, and now you're seeing I, I I get a lot of a lot of news releases coming across my desk of things like uh uh, the estates of Einstein and Charlie Chaplin uh, banded together to do NFTs of their iconic forebearers. Uh, you know, so in an NFT of, of Chaplin, great. Fantastic. That'd be kind of cool. The Tramp. I'd love an NFT of that. I mm-hmm. don't know where I'd show it, uh, which is an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, people really haven't solved that whole curation exhibition sharing of my taste thing, not just for NFTs, but a whole bunch of other stuff. You know, when we got rid of physical products. We no longer had a shelf of DVDs and books and vinyl records that we could show how cool we were, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to sort of define which tribes we were part of. We still don't really have that very very well, even in places like Facebook who should have solved that issue in, in their own way. Uh, so NFTs mean all of a sudden we're starting to collect art, digital art, don't yeah. have good places to show it off don't have good places to share it with folks so mm. i got this and and or even you know to put it out there in a way that's not really for sale but mm, i might be open to so you want to give me 69 million dollars we could talk you know that mm-hmm. kind of thing there's none of that and they're still working on all those kinds of things so mm. so that's a, a chunk of that that i don't think works but there's clearly uh every ip holder you're seeing the studios jump in on this you're seeing Particularly the smaller ones that have, you know, first they were figuring out a, a way to get into streaming, and now mm-hmm. they're figuring a way to get an NFTs because they've got assets sitting on a shelf in a vault somewhere mm-hmm. that somebody cares about. They want to watch it. They want to get an NFT of it. They want to get collectibles based on it. They they're fans of it in some way, and that might be a long tail kind of thing. And it's not that many people, but your costs to to connect with them aren't that high to create your streaming channel or to put up your ad supported. Channel on you know Roku and generating the NFTs, the return can be pretty good. Even if it's not like a huge seller, it's it's found money. So all of a sudden, people are trying to figure out how they milk these things. So I don't think hmm. those go away, but I do think they have to evolve. Yeah, and they have to get a little more, um, a little more. Uh, at some point, they need to to rationalize those businesses into businesses as opposed to speculation and gold rush uh, mentalities and uh, dice rolls. And that'll happen. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes some of this stuff will take longer than others. So I, I, I think that, um, you know, the, before your time, before probably all your viewers' times, mm-hmm. there was this thing called Pet Rocks, right? Mm-hmm. Which was just a dumb thing. People were selling Pet Rocks and they for, I don't know, six months, people would buy these toys, they weren't even toys, they were just a thing, right? And, and people were like, oh, I gotta get my pet rock. And it was just a rock in a box with said pet rock. So there really wasn't much there, but it was just a dumb ass fad, right? Well, now we see NFTs with pet rocks, which is sort of perfect. It kind of closes the loop, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but we're not just gonna have that. We're gonna have, you know, NFTs work when they're tied to something that has a story that's meaningful to somebody. You know, my Mm. basic line as a writer is narrative always wins. So the rock doesn't matter. Plymouth rock matters, right? Because Plymouth rock, which is just a rock has a story and Mm. that story matters to some people and you can do something with that. The town of Plymouth, this backdrop is from Martha's Vineyard uh 70 miles from Plymouth Rock. Uh you drive into Plymouth and where the you know where the Plymouths the the pilgrims stopped mm-hmm. here a week before Thanksgiving, uh where they stopped and the rock ain't much to look at. But around it, Plymouth has this whole, you know, micro industry of Plymouth fans, of pilgrim fans, of history fans. Yeah. The narrative matters and the narrative will matter with NFTs. Who cares about what this image, this digital mm-hmm. collectible, unique image is with music and video and all? Who cares about it? What makes it different and special to some, some audience? And I think that's actually a useful way to think about a lot of things. What is it about this that somebody's going to care about five years from now? Right. And that's yeah. one way to think about all kinds of stuff. So
0: so when you write um, and when you look for stories, what are some things that you look for? Like what is what's the recipe for a winning story, whether it is an article or, you know, a a recording that you put as a podcast? Um, Yeah. What what are some things that you look for? Uh,
1: I think that certainly Things that engage my brain. I mean, there's a lot of copycat stuff, which is one of the problems with all the news releases that come across from, from NFTs. Because everybody's doing NFTs now, so it's not like it's new. Hmm. Um, I mean, it is a little interesting that Chaplin and Einstein's and descendants are doing something, but so that's, that's like that might be a little closer than you know. This esports kid does it, and the esports kid is like he had a second place finish in League of Legends two two years ago. It's like okay, great, you know, but but it's a little more interesting, and just it's also sort of there's a, an inherent sort of cognitive dissonance there between a uh, hundred year old movie star or a hundred year old uh, forbidding genius um, mm-hmm. and and world peace advocate uh, who also helped create the atomic bomb. Uh, getting into nfts you know a century later um 120 years later uh you know it's um it's just like what tickles my brain and if it tickles my brain perhaps i can convey that story in a way that tickles somebody else's brain right mm-hmm. and i think that's for me the challenge always um i have more freedom in the arrangements i have with my outlets these days to uh, uh not worry about just the facts, but actually take some of the many years of perspective that I bring and actually imbue that into the stories and give them some context and some perspective and have a take. So that's what I try to do. So if I can get a take, if I can have something that I react to and connect with, and then I can express, hopefully in an entertaining and engaging and and informative way, Mm -hmm. that makes a good story.
0: In terms of, um, so, you know, kind of Drawing a little bit more on this, um, sharing narratives and storytelling, are there certain sort of AR VR examples that you've seen that were you know that really stand out? And um, yeah, I mean, I mean the question truly is, you know, if AR VR or anything XR, if they're just yet another medium of communication, how can we make um, stories? or curate stories that are engaging and interesting to listen to and how can brands kind of utilize this new medium to these new yeah, uh, new channels to um, connect with their audience? I
1: think uh, there's several things in there to unpack. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, is what's the context? How much are you gonna spend? And what, what are you trying to get done? I mean, I think that, um, a lot of the conversation about um, some of some of the things that are happening out there. I mean, like I, just yesterday uh, I was in uh, there's a company that's got a nice technology they're rolling out today, and I was in conversation actually two days ago mm-hmm. uh, and and how they were trying to um, enable creators to own more of their space and um to to own more of their ad revenue to own more of their audience but not all of their audience just what i like to call the whales you know the word that's used in las vegas and now used in mobile games the hardcore fans who will also follow them on youtube or facebook or whatever but take what will follow them to their own space Mm -hmm. and let them do all kinds of different things to to uh, support them and engage with them and connect with them on an ongoing basis and connect with other fans and, and to build that that core audience of uh, uh, deep support and and I think you know that's 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 a really interesting lesson for brands too. Um, you don't I mean brands kind of got into the whole social media space over the last Eight, eight, nine, 10 years, YouTube goes back to what, 2008 or something like that, uh, same with Facebook, uh, but they, they got into it over the last decade, um, mostly renting influencers' audiences. They would build their own, but they would mostly do a deal with an influencer, either mm-hmm. a one-time deal, or maybe they'd have an ongoing relationship, and they were renting, they were renting their audience or connections to their audience. And and the influencers are entertaining people who understand how to engage with and sustain an audience. And the brands have to do the same thing and not just rent somebody else's audience. Right. Hmm. The flip side of that is the influencers have been renting somebody else's distribution mechanism, Facebooks or YouTubes or Twitters or whatever. And they need to pull some of that back and own it themselves, and that's what this company, uh, Maestro for Creators, is the one that's making the announcement today. Mm. Uh, that's what they're doing, and that's what other companies or some other companies are doing as well. Is, you know, how do you keep more of yours? It's to to pull this metaphor even further, it's mm-hmm. the fight between Epic and Apple over how much Epic and all the other app guys are paying to be on Apple's iTunes Store. They're paying 15 to 30%. And they're like, that's too much. We don't want to do that. And that's, uh, we should be able to do whatever and have, have more control. So it's again about pulling back control into yourself. So how do brands in these new spaces that don't have a dominant platform, how do they own more of their audience, own more of their distribution, own more of their connection to the people that, that they matter the most to them? And I think that's the fundamental challenge because brands, are only starting to get the, the clue that mm. they're media companies as well. If you're a brand, you're a media company. Whatever you make, whatever widget you sell, whatever service you provide, mm-hmm. you're also a media company. And how do you own that audience, connect with that audience and get them to buy your stuff? So that's the crucial question. AR, I think, has some very lightweight demands on companies to allow them to do things like create virtual experiences that are very easy to to access wherever you are,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, could be geo located or whatever. Uh, VR is much more sophisticated Mm -hmm. uh, and, but it can be, you know, we still have a fairly small install base of VR um, equipment and -hmm. households that have it. I mean, it's still 10 million households, 8 million households out of 110 US. Uh, So it's a small, small audience, so mm-hmm. is that a place where you want to do that? And then you see companies like Netflix who are doing really interesting things. Mm-hmm. I've been binging on their new show that they are uh, building quite a crescendo for called Arcane. And Arcane is fascinating because it's an anime show that they did in concert with uh, League of Legends and Riot Games, the biggest video game eSports brand in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're doing an immersive experience that's going to debut in a few days and they're having a big blowout thing tomorrow and the next day at that location with hundreds of creators so Netflix has gone from being a company that just does that just runs other people's video to Mm -hmm. one that makes its own shows that get seen by hundreds of millions of people in some cases to getting into the game business with mm. uh, this new stuff, which is absolutely about them getting into the immersive uh, entertainment experience beyond just you know cell phone games based on Stranger Things. Mm. So, and now they've partnered with one of the biggest gaming companies in the world to make an immersive experience. They're doing with a company called Secret Cinema, uh, an anime uh, production which. Uh, you know, they have some, had anime for a while, but, you know, League of Legends has no background in content pre- creation, but they're trying to get there and, uh, you know, tying their audience into a physical thing. And they'll sell merchandise and they'll sell tickets to the immersive experience, et cetera, et cetera. They did something similar um, last summer with a VR experience, an, a, a, an immersive experience. Physical immersive experience around their budding franchise, uh, Army of the Dead, Zack Snyder's zombie franchise, Mm. and they put out a second, sort of a a prequel kind of movie called Army of Thieves. That just was uh, out this this October. That did very very well. Um, But they did they had they uh, it's a zombie attack in Vegas, which includes the coolest thing in the world, which is of course a zombie tiger with (laughs) a zombie Elvis. Coolest (laughs) thing in the world, right? Uh, but they had this, uh, uh, part of the, the, the movie, not, mm. not much to a spoiler part of the movie is you're riding around in a ice cream truck mowing down zombies, you know, as you do, <laughs> uh, when you go to Vegas and anything's possible. Right. Right. So they, they had this this physical thing at, uh, four, four, four locations to start. They're going to hit 16 North American locations, take it to Europe later. Uh, but you start out with this thing that looks like a very large ice cream truck and you get in there up to six people, you put on your headset and your, 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 your VR headset and your, your VR gun, and you're mowing down zombies as you're riding through uh, this crazy uh, zombie infested Vegas. And it's a really compelling experience. Mm-hmm. And they sold merch, they sold food, you know, they sold tickets to the experience itself, and they sold the brand and the franchise that they were building. And that's a very sophisticated approach, which Hollywood doesn't do enough of. Mm -hmm. Brands need to think about how do we do this? We see some of this stuff down at Comic-Con back in the old days, right? Mm -hmm. They have those immersive experiential things going on across the street from Comic-Con in San Diego. Um, So how do you do that? And what's the right time and place for doing that? So, So AR, you can do it inexpensively. VR, in the home, you don't really have enough. You've got some some install base, but not much. And then you've got some of these special experiences that are really memorable, but you can only do them with like really big things. So, brands, I think, have mm-hmm. to figure out where they fit in, what how that makes sense in their bigger, bigger picture it matters in terms oh, of yeah. their opportunities. And then the other question is as in talking again with the maestro guy, mm-hmm. um, is moving from the top of the funnel and awareness mm-hmm. down into uh, actually activating sales and then attributing the sales and then making the sale, making the money, bringing the money in. Cause that's the bottom, literally the bottom line, right. not just, Hey, we know about this thing, but now we're hardcore fans of your, of your brand, the way you guys do business. And we want to give you money. You've got to, got to pull them down the funnel. And, mm-hmm. and some of these technologies will let you pull them further down the funnel and mm-hmm. uh, interact. I mean, connected TVs, let you do that increasingly, but, but you've got to move beyond just awareness into uh, cashing in. Right, right.
0: So in terms of, you know, um, content strategy as a whole, there can be, I mean, there's just so many things that brands can be involved with different social media platforms, whether it's Facebook ads, there's TikTok now, there's YouTube, there is, um, you know, this metaverse, I mean, uh, there is, of course, the traditional Google ads. I mean, there's just so many things you could do. So yeah, what would be sort of your advice in terms of how to kind of hone down on what to focus on and then in a couple of months, just making uh, tracking sort of engagement and effectiveness um, to see if it's even making a difference?
1: Well, conversations about metrics have been going on for quite a while and what actually counts as effective Um, I will go back to a a notion of uh, pushing it down the funnel, pushing it to attribution, to a sale, Mm -hmm. or making actually cashing in the sale, actually doing the transaction. I think you have more options and more opportunity to do that than ever. Mm -hmm. Um, But the problem that brands face is that they need to be in lots of places. They really do need to have a presence and they need to figure out how to be there efficiently. They need, to be a, they need to be a presence, though, in lots of these places on a routine basis. I mean, you can't not have yeah. your own social media presence. You can't not, you can't, you've got to think about, you know, where do I, how do I get on to Roblox if I've got a kid or mom-focused brand? How do I get on to, um, you know, or Minecraft, Another, you know, which Microsoft also owns? How do I get, how do I have a presence there, or at least an awareness there for the right products and the right connections? How do I um, think about maybe not a deal with Facebook, but maybe a deal with um, other companies like Epic that are doing interesting things or Unity, the two companies that make a lot of the infrastructural Mm -hmm. kinds of software? Um, How do I start getting some, 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 uh, Institutional uh, awareness and sophistication about those tools. I don't need to have, you know, VR programmers in my employment, but I might want to have one on retainer that I can have a regular conversation about how I take some bit of what I do and maybe do a do a fashion drop in Fortnite, for instance, um, like Gucci does, or Uh, Balenciaga did it and kicked butt. You know they and they they tied it to real world stuff. So they sold a I think a Balenciaga hoodie in the game for the equivalent. It's in digital currency, but the equivalent of like eight dollars. But then they sold a real world copy of that for seven hundred and fifty, and that was a hot item. Mm -hmm. That's that's how you start to connect the virtual and the and the, the digital and the physical. And that's how you start to make some money off of this and give your brand currency with a new audience that's gonna matter as it gets older and has more money to spend and they get aspirational. It's not just, oh, I got the Balenciaga hoodie. I wanna get the physical one now because I got the dough and yeah. that's cool. And, or I saw it when I was 15 and now I'm 30 and I can afford to buy the damn thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the long game you got to play.
0: So, in terms of um, you know, in general, when brands come to you for for you know your advice on um, what is the best way to connect with audience, are there common themes around what they typically are facing that they ask you for advice about?
1: Gosh, you know, those kinds of issues vary so much from brand to brand because Mm -hmm. it is so uh, bespoke. For each one, you know, where are they? With, I mean, like, what's their current relationship? Their current visibility with audiences that already buy their stuff, that might buy their stuff but don't, but mm-hmm. are open to it, and those who will never buy their stuff. You know, like, uh, and you know, how, how, you know, it's such a complicated conversation about each one of these, like, you know, uh, let's, let's, like, tease out who you are, Mm -hmm. what your product lines are, and how you're going to evolve those, because sometimes it's like, the stuff you've been making isn't going to really work with a lot of folks long term. So maybe you need to think about Mm
0: -hmm. evolving
1: the stuff you do. Yeah, I think those Mm are, you know, and then how you talk about it. I mean, a lot of times, you know, Companies come to me about strategic communications conversations, mm-hmm. and strategic communications is ultimately about how the company defines itself and explains itself to its own employees, its own customers, its own clients, and then the rest of the world. So you can't even begin to do a strategic communications plan for a company until they figure out who the heck they are and where they want to go. And there's like there's this baseline that has to be figured out before you can talk about how you're going to talk about it. So um, a lot of companies, though, are just aware that <laughs> it ain't working what they're doing and they don't know what to do next. And help me, you know, <laughs> help me. That's kind of the thing that comes up a lot. Um, they can't get there. And you just need to start getting people, uh, mm. start talking with people who are out in the world who are seeing these things, who can connect you with people to do the the, mm. in, the little tiny bits that need to actually make it happen, but understand the big picture and how, how to connect the dots. And I think, um, but there's a lot of flailing going on mm. and, and the pandemic just <sighs> Yeah. You know, because because mm-hmm. even the things that you knew you kind of needed to get to, but you'd have five years to get to it. All of a sudden became you, know, you had five months to get to right. it. Right. And you get to do it from home with half your workforce saying, screw you, I'm not coming back. So good luck, buddy. <laughs> you know, um, that's kind of been the situation.
0: Right. So. And, and speaking of, you know, the past few months, it seems like one topic that definitely has been a pressing issue is just the communication surrounding, you know, work. Is it going to be remote? Is it going to be hybrid? Is you know, is it going to be in person? Um, but you know, kind of extending that even a uh, to a few years back, I think it seems like there's been a lot more sort of uh, like a lot more companies are trying to adopt or or or. Um, adopt like social causes or align their mission with social causes. So um, in terms of sort of strategic communication, what are what is some way what is you know, what are ways that brands can kind of not just align themselves with a social cause, but um, you know, convey this trust that they are sort of not just saying that they're they, you know, a partner with the social cause, but they're actually doing something about it.
1: Yeah, the 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 challenge is to not look like you're greenwashing or virtue washing, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, some of that, I mean, <laughs> the really tough part is if you're not sincere about it. There's a whole lot of folks watching closely who will call you out in platforms like Twitter mm-hmm. and make you look bad. And you kind of had it coming, right? Um, so. In terms of matching, I think, you know, these conversations really date back a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at USC in the business school as an associate dean for a little while, as they brought, you know, they brought on a, a social investing uh, professor who set up a program that got endowed and um, in, within their entrepreneurship program, a social entrepreneur program that, within that. Broader mm-hmm. entrepreneurship program at, at USC, which is terrific. Uh, certainly, the undergrad program is like a top five school and huge. Mm-hmm. And um, um, but the conversations even then about um, you know uh, ethical behavior, about uh, cleaning up your your um, supply chain uh, stuff, you know. Child turns out child labor is kind of crappy wherever it's being done, and mm-hmm. doesn't really play well with today's uh, aware and activated um, consumers. But even back then, when you had you didn't have the the opportunity to look bad as easily. It took a lot more work to look bad because it was harder for activists and people aware around the world about oh, you guys are doing this crummy thing, and and we're going to publicize it in. Myanmar, or Xinjiang, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now that gets out, and it gets spread around the world, and you've just stained your brand. So the stakes are higher than they were. But it's been a been mm-hmm. a thing for a good two two decades, easy, mm-hmm. and probably longer than that. But really, two decades. It's really kind of took off. And it, and uh, the two thousand eight financials turned down, tweaked that a little bit because people we were like, no, we just want to stay open. We'll worry about like being virtuous after we're still open uh and then this thing is you know the pandemic is complicated but but you just have to clean that up so then then the next thing is how do you find things that align Mm
0: -hmm. with what
1: you do and so like a company like Patagonia you know comes out on climate change because it makes total sense for a brand that's all about connecting with people who are into preserving the outdoors preserving uh you know wildlife and wild lands I mean climate change and you know all the impacts on you
0: know,
1: wildfires and hurricanes and everything else that's going on—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a perfect alignment between their audience and what their brand does and what they should stand for. And I, you know, it's pretty clear from the ways that their founder talks and communicates regularly, personally, um, that it's meaning—it's deeply meaningful to him personally. So that—that reinforces the value of that and how important that is. Um, not everybody's going to have that obvious nexus, but there are things you can do within your community, within your uh, your chain of both suppliers and and buyers, uh, to to you know show that you're not just jerks, capitalist jerks, you know, trying to rape the planet. Um, and you should do that and think of it as an investment. For hmm. the inevitable crummy things that are going to happen to your company at some point. Hmm. And you're essentially investing against uh, something, something bad that could happen, almost certainly will happen sooner or later. You're 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 making sure that you have a bank of goodwill from which you may be able to draw at in a time of need. And just to put it in a way that that people who care about dollars and cents can can appreciate you know Mm -hmm. you're investing in the long term when you need it and facebook is slash meta is an example of a place that has has uh, overdrawn its account badly Uh, and will have to do a lot of work that it may never be able to pay in enough to make up for Mm -hmm. Uh, the challenges that it's created for itself over the last five years there are other companies like that I mentioned Altria somewhat jokingly, but you mm-hmm. know tobacco companies aren't aren't ever going to be seen well. Well companies aren't ever going to be seen well,
0: yeah. uh,
1: but some of them are trying to evolve a little bit. Um, but you've got to at least take care of your backyard, mm. take care of the the folks around you and and understand it's more than just dollars and cents. And again, that it's an investment in the long term of goodwill that will help your company survive and thrive so that's what i would throw out there
0: yeah makes sense yeah and it seems like there are you know different sort of topics that um, you know companies should maybe think about whether it's um you know uh aligning themselves with a social cause or even topics surrounding diversity seeing that being a huge you know um uh topic that's you know being that's that's been present um certainly um so
1: look an older white male shouldn't be lecturing anybody on diversity but (laughs) that being said Mm -hmm. uh, one of the ways you make your case on diversity is being diverse and being diverse in your board being diverse in your executive ranks being diverse in your hiring ranks but Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and being diverse in your advertising and your social media, you know, and who you choose to ally yourself with, you know, who are your suppliers? And, you know, are you making sure that you're, you know, you're thinking more broadly? And, and, and the most basic reason to do that mm. is if your market is the United States, it is a much more diverse place in this generation that's coming up right now and the one right behind it, you know, millennials, uh, Gen Z alphas are far more diverse in terms of demographics um, in every way and gender identity and preference in racial background and uh, interracial marriage and um, uh, openness to people who are different than them. They're mm-hmm. different in every single way from older generations and that is all of your future markets. So if you're not where they are, you're not going to go with them, and that's fundamentally about the long. T- I mean, even I mean, put aside, of course, that it's the right thing to do; mm-hmm. it is the smart thing to do. So companies have to figure that out, and they need to get there sooner than later, because people can see when companies screw it up. Fine example, Activision. Mm-hmm. Um, CEO has been there thirty years. Their offices are a block away from me. Uh, was chatting with a couple of ex-Activision guys yesterday in an event that I was at, and they were like, "I hope the company survives. I don't see how the CEO will, because uh, they have uh, they just got sued by the state state regulators over um, uh, uh, some stuff around sexual assault, sexual
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, uh, you know misconduct of various kinds." that they then covered up. Uh, The Wall Street Journal just had a story this week about the CEO knowing about it, not telling the board. The Mm -hmm. board is apparently okay (laughs) with that. And shockingly, their stock is down probably 40%. uh, And it's not gonna get better. Even though they have some iconic brands, like the most popular um, ongoing uh, AAA game title, Call of Duty, Mm -hmm. and they have Overwatch, they had two, uh, lucrative esports teams or esports um, uh, leagues that they had big, big brands associated with them and all that. Pandemic hit those really hard. Yeah. But who's going to um, be an advertiser on the Call of Duty League? Who's going to be an advertiser? What kid, what female gamer, what female esports fan, and mm-hmm. again, many of the males as well, is mm-hmm. going to want to be part of a brand that has sullied itself so thoroughly right. mm-hmm. you just have to i mean they 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 put one woman in charge as a co-president of one of their divisions she left after three months and that was one of their early responses to all this stuff so what what are you going to do i mean they they have thoroughly i mean they can just shoot themselves in the foot they took a machine gun to their foot and they're mm-hmm. continuing to fire hold down the trigger so i don't know where they go uh as long as the CEO remains in place.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know he's he's built a, a a great thing, and now he's tearing it down pretty effectively. So mm. that's that's an example of burning through your goodwill mm. at a rapid pace.
0: Right. Yeah. Sounds like definitely sounds like a PR crisis for sure.
1: It's beyond the- crisis. It's a it's a catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So. Well, hey, thank you so much for you know taking the time. I know it's, uh, I wouldn't be mindful of your time. It's close to an hour, but th- that's the great thing when conversations just go over time and it, it really flows. So thank you for sharing your thoughts about different topics. And I, I really sure. try to, um, you know, ask you about a lot of different things, uh, whether it's content strategy, AR, VR, um, you know, how to align with social causes, uh, different topics. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much.